baby steps. That's what we're looking for on the Athletes Podcast. That's what we got for episode 130 of the Athletes Podcast featuring Nate Reich. Crazy, crazy episode. Nate is a crazy human being to be able to accomplish what he's done, especially having overcome the injury that he faced at 10 years old, being struck by a golf ball, partially paralyzed along his right side. I mean, he comes from a long line of fantastic athletes, and it's not in one single sport. Dude, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like a grandpa who's an NHL player, then like parents who were in pole vaulting and javelin. It's just like whatever sport that family decided to pick up, they could be, they could just play pro. He was just born a natural athlete, world record holder, captured gold in the Paralympics with a record time, 358.92 in the 1500 meter final. Just phenomenal what this guy's been able to accomplish and it was an honor to have him on the episode yeah and you could tell like he he was very calm in the episode but even when you asked him like how he prepped for these events he just like treat you could i believe it he just treats it like a normal day that's how we like approach this podcast talking to you and i could just he's just very cool calm collective guy well it's you know, the yeah. athletes podcast. It's not that big of a deal, you know. It's, hey, you know, <laughs> he's got. Well, he said he he said he did that when he was running in those Paralympic games, and that's a big deal. I know, I know. He does bring that approach. It's it's mind boggling, and like, not many athletes do. No, for example, Los Angeles Angels <laughs> were not calm, cool, and collected over the weekend. Uh, no, not at all. When uh, you know, you got you got pitchers from the Saturday night game hitting Mike Trout. And then like you got Seattle or sorry, uh, Los Angeles responding to that on the Sunday. And then, you know, you throw one pitch at a guy, one pitch, too many is turns into a yelling and battle. And after the yelling battle, it turns into people swinging at each other. So it's kind of like the top gun, you know, the equivalent of buzzing the tower, you know, yeah. throwing that ball right at the schnoz. Uh, I'll make you back up quickly. You know what I found uh, was kind of funny too is that when you like see this on Google or on Instagram or whatever, when people want to advertise a brawl, basically in any sport other than hockey, it's just like they say, oh, brawl between like the Mariners and the Angels, punches thrown. <laughs> and like that's, you know, even for football, whatever, it's like punches thrown. It's like, I, I guess you and I having watched hockey, like, our whole lives it's just kind of something that you just you know you get mad you throw punches there it's just funny how that's advertised in other sports you're like oh i want to see want to see people swing at each other here well hockey is the only sport outside of like mixed martial arts that you're actually allowed to fight and yeah. like throw hands <laughs> it's not typical to see in a basketball or a baseball game you know so- i mean that's not a bad idea like you you hear sometimes these people mic'd up they have a fight and then there's respect it's like hey good job man like you just get your anger out, then you're then your buddies again. I don't know. It's not not all the time, but most of the time that's how it works. Can you imagine middle of a tennis match, you're like, yo, let's drop the mitts yeah, here, man. Just, Screw the racket. Right, I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> take probably, you over. It'd probably save a lot of rackets' lives if they were allowed to duke it out. Yeah, yeah. But I, they would most likely be duking it out with the official or someone calling the match, saying that ball was that <laughs> ball was out. You're like, oh, I want to bet. Yeah, it probably wouldn't go over well. But it, you know, what else isn't going over well is the Wimbledon dress code right now it's highly contested about the fact that, you know, wearing white to Wimbledon is a tradition. It was originally enforced because any sign of sweat was considered rude or improper. 
I I think we can collectively agree here that I know that there's a lot of traditions, but you have to also come to the conclusion that some traditions in today's day and age shouldn't be a tradition anymore. And, you know, for what, for how intense that sport is, and I don't know, like you and I have played tennis and being, it being rude to sweat. I'm sorry. Like, That's a sweat inducing sport. <laughs> like, like of anything, right? It's any, yeah. any, I'm going to say all sports, but especially an individual one, like, I don't know, you, you know, I'd be nervous about sweating in golf and that's <laughs> a lot less intense than, than tennis would be. Yeah. But you, you know, we actually have female tennis stars in specific speaking out because this rule has been around since the Victorian era. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is like, and there's a quote directly here from former tennis player and Olympic champion, Monica Puig, where she says, I cannot imagine going into the biggest day of my life with my period and being forced to wear white. Now, you and I are men. We've never had to experience menstrual activities no. occurring. But I can only imagine that I'd be a little nervous thinking about the fact that millions of people are watching me on any television, online, internet, you know, the way things spread nowadays. Could you imagine the headline? wouldn't be throwing hands it would be yo tennis star has leaky red substance coming yeah. down like can you imagine the headlines that's ridiculous and no. the fact that we have the best athletes in the world going out there trying to perform their best and they have to subconsciously in the back of their mind have to be cognizant about the fact that hey i like i'm dealing with this right now it's a natural occurrence i have no control over it that's that shouldn't be something else that these people need to worry about in intense tournaments or games like that yeah and like you you said it at the beginning this has been a rule since the victorian era well it's safe to say that outside the world of tennis a lot has changed a <laughs> little bit a <laughs> little bit since then so i think it's time to rethink that as well yeah agreed there's no thinking necessary though when it comes to the nhl anymore games are yep. done Colorado it's over. Avalanche have been crowned the 2022 Stanley Cup champions. They've also been able to dent the cup in record fashion time. <laughs> Very quickly. I'm surprised they weren't sipping out of a sippy cup at the end of the night because that what was the who was the player? I can't remember his name, but he just bailed heading into that team photo. Oh, uh, I don't yeah, I don't remember his name either, but I saw I saw it like as soon as guy skating in just drops it and you just you just it hurts you to see it. Yeah. I was I saw a picture on um Instagram, uh, they said, oh, when, you know, the caption, once you see it, you'll never be able to unsee it. And then I saw, like, I'm like, I didn't know there was a straight line at the bottom of the Stanley Cup. I'm like, no, no, someone just fell on it. The, uh, you'll have to put it up here, but there's, yeah. like, that picture with their, the whole Avalanche team <laughs> reacting. That's, <gasps> that's it. I can't, yeah, would not go over well. I would uh, feel slightly embarrassed, but I'm sure they're going to have some crazy, crazy parties. I know... Well, McKinnon was talking about the fact that he was the drunkest at Crosby's Cup celebrations in Nova Scotia. We'll see whether he returns the favor. He probably should. And also, uh, I saw a picture uh, of the Welcome to Cole Harbor sign saying mm -hmm. home of Sidney Crosby. Mm -hmm. I think it's time to also mention Nathan McKinnon on that sign. Yeah, you know, like nine years in, bit. he's got a cup now. He deserves it. He is, and he's unquestionably... A, a top three player in the NHL. So, so McDavid, McKinnon, Crosby. Austin if you say Ovech, oh, I thought maybe you were gonna go Ovechkin. No, we're gonna go. Oh, Austin, we're gonna Lord. go with the um, MVP of this year's NHL season. Yeah, you're right. You know what? 
the NHL had clear motives this year. They wanted to get their young guys with trophies in hand. Kale McCarr, Conn Smythe, you got rookie of the year. Austin Matthews gets the handout heart. You know, uh, you know, he had a good season, but you know, that's not what we're talking about right now. That's fine. I'll let you have it this year. It's the only thing Matthews is going to win in June anyway, so we're good on that note. And, you know, speaking, I want to bring up to you, speaking of players with accomplishments, you know what uh, what accomplishment a great Chase Daniel has, quarterback in the NFL? Chase Daniel. Yeah, guy is 35 years old, has $41 million of career earnings in the NFL, having only started five games. Oh, that's an average of when did he start his career? Like uh, two thousand nine. It actually shows. I'll, I'll tell you. What okay. it, it's an average of eight point two million dollars per game. <laughs> <laughs> three three hours of work, eight point two million bucks in his pocket. Man, what a dream that would be. That, oh. I mean, hey, to, no discredit to Chase Daniel. Like I'm sure, phenomenal athlete. I'm sure he's laughing right now. Too, I'm sure so. he's laughing as well. That's a that's not a bad ride to be able to, uh, you know, be able to go out. Say you're a National Football League quarterback. Obviously, you're still going through training. You're still participating. You're still an incredible high performance athlete. But eight point two million a game. <laughs> yeah, I can't even say it without laughing. Yeah, and he was on he was on the Super Bowl winning team in 2010. Like he's he's got it. He's fine. He's taken care of. Man, what a backup QB to bring on. You know, you you and I like you know, we discussed it. We watched uh, Blue Mountain State. That show made it pretty fun to to be a backup quarterback. Not oh, without a doubt, <laughs> one of the best positions to play in the sport of football. You get all the glamour. You get. You might the, have to get thrown in late in the game. You get to throw the hail mary. Like, mm. you could still get your like family and friends tickets. Like, you're you're in a good spot. That's a that's a great spot. Yeah. I uh, you know I would trade. Where I'm at right now to be a backup QB in the NFL, yeah, probably. Exactly. Yeah, I'd be cool with that. <laughs> but here we are on the Athletes Podcast featuring incredible athletes on a weekly basis. And you know what? That's better than being a backup NFL QB. Without further ado, Jordan, we got to get to this episode with Nate. What was your favorite part? <sighs> Give the listeners a little sprinkle, a little taste before. You know, I think that number one, the, one of the parts I liked uh, was how he described it as, you know, you have to have... a he thinks he got a PhD in failure. Mm. And I think that's something that we've heard from a lot of guests that we have on that you have to deal with failure, learn from it and know that it's not a bad thing. Mm. Right. It's, and it's not the end of the world. And, you know, again, he was talking about uh, how a lot of his accomplishments have come late as well. And don't be super disappointed if you're not winning that regional meet, you know, that doesn't mean that it's the end of the line for whatever sport you're in. So that's probably my favorite part. And then also you know, I also found it funny how uh, his his parents said coming in first place is a lot better than being the first loser. Damn right. <laughs> I could not agree more. That's uh, something that was instilled early in me as well. And hey, we're excited for you folks to listen to the 130th episode of the Athletes Podcast featuring Nate Reese. Here we go. I want to just keep going on the way we were chatting there before, like no different because what your story that you have is incredible. I was watching on your new YouTube channel, so we can shout that out right at the beginning here. But um, I was watching the story that you had on there, basically breaking down 
your story from start to finish where you grew up. And I'd love for you to maybe give a high level overview now to intro yourself because you're going to do it in a humble fashion. And then I'm going to correct you and say some, you know, highlight those things that are actually super incredible accomplishments. And so without further ado, I'm going to let you go off. Nate Reach. Yeah, absolutely. First off, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, I grew up and was born in Fresno, California. Um, probably the most boring place in California to really think of. Like there's some great people in Fresno, but nowhere near the beach. Um, and then grew up most of my life in Chandler, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix. And that's kind of where grew my passion for sport. Um, all of basically my entire family is professional athletes. Um, both of my parents were very elite athletes. My dad, an Olympian, my mom, a Canadian national champion and former, uh, Canadian record holder in the pool ball. And so, uh, I think growing up, I didn't know any difference and I didn't know that it was unusual to do wind sprints at 6am in the morning with your family and see who's the fastest in the family or just with family and friends. And so I think that that took me a while to kind of understand and um, you know, that's also where I got my traumatic brain injury uh, in 2005, where I got in the head with a golf ball, which um, now I like to joke about how I got hurt doing the most leisure sport that you could really think of. Uh, one of my favorite sports personally, but um, and that definitely set my world into a tailspin and put my world upside down. And everything I thought I knew about my life uh, was the opposite. And so, um, yeah, that was basically been my life is just that journey to kind of figure out who I am after the injury. Cause I kind of had to, that old Nate kind of allow that to come, come to a close and almost start anew. Right. Well, it is incredible just what you've been able to accomplish since that injury. And like, maybe I, I'll, I'll explain, like you were told you like, you had a bunch of guys playing golf. They're like, Oh yeah, go ahead, hit your balls and we'll, we'll hit up afterwards. And, you know, the guy shanks an SQ driver. You should have known right there. The, the guy was hitting that golf club. You're like, oh, man, it sounds like a trash can when you hit it. I love the way you described it. Um, but it strikes you in the back of the head. And, like, what goes through your mind there? Because I know you talked about after your, your mom's driving you back, you have to drop everyone off during, like, on your way to the hospital because you don't want to bring a bunch of kids there. But, like for you having grown up being an athlete, you're like competitive your whole life. And now you've got this golf ball that strikes you like to your point, playing the most leisurely sport. And it's the golfer's worst nightmare because it's the only way you get injured on a golf course. And you, this occurs and you're like, man, I can't even wrap my head around at 10 years old, like 110 degrees in the middle of Phoenix. And you like, you just have these dreams that, look like they could have shattered right in front of your eyes. And I can't even wrap my head around what that feeling would look like, but maybe for you to share kind of what the thoughts were going on through your head. And then I'm sure over the next 40 minutes, we'll see the kind of mechanisms that you use to get out of that and stay positive. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, luckily I was really young. I was 10. Um, and this world paralyzed kept being thrown around and I always joke around about, I only knew the song paralyzer. Um, and so like, I had no idea what that song or that, what that word meant. And I think that was really good. And number two, like my brain was able to recover a little bit, which was because I was young. It was very underdeveloped at that time. And, but at the end of the day, like my parents are very big and not feeling bad for yourself. Nope. Nope. Poor me. And so 
these are the circumstances that we had and I wanted to make the best of it. And I know, as I'm sure you maybe heard me say, um, my doctor said, Nate, you never walk without Olympic passports or not in your future. And, you know, hearing that at age 10 was definitely tough, but at the end of the day, I'm a very, uh, fiery, I guess it'd be the nicest term to, uh, describe myself. And uh, I wanted to find out myself because at the end of the day, this is my life. And I wasn't going to let someone tell me that I can do something and like almost say like, don't even try. And that's just not who I am. Uh, I like to kind of see it through and, you know, if it end up not being able to play high, high, high level sport, high performance sport, that would have been fine. Um, would have been probably a bit of a tough pill to swallow, but I don't think I would have regretted it because because I saw it through. I remember a couple of quotes that stuck out to me in that video. One was doing it a bit better than they did. And the second was going in your own direction. And it stuck out to me because I had similar thoughts, not in the same high performance athletic, but just like graduating high school, getting out, doing my own thing. And you obviously growing up with pro athletes, parents who are like, super competitive, obviously, if you're doing wind sprints at 6am with the fam. What was the mindset for you to be like, hey, man, like, I don't care. I've got this potential injury. I'm being told that I can't do this. I'm like, yo, I'm going to do it better than anyone else, despite all of these things going against me, despite people telling me, to your point, you're, you're fiery. But how does that competitive edge stay there through and through? Is that just something that's been ingrained since you were a young age? And does it like spill over into any other aspects of your life now outside of high performance sport? Um, I'm sure my girlfriend would tell you it does spill <laughs> over in, in other aspects of, of my life. I think number one, my mom, you know, I think parents, they do their best to, you know, try to teach kids what to do and uh, the right way to go about things. And I think for me, I, they at early, I didn't really have to, they didn't really have to tell me. I just saw it. And I think that was one thing that was really unique. Uh, they didn't have to preach hard work. I literally saw it every day. I mean, get the track for five hours watching my mom, uh, my dad, my stepdad, and my stepmom, all three of them track and field athletes, another one, a professional baseball player, you know, do their thing. And so, yeah, I think that was something that, was really cool for me. And then I think my injury made me work even harder um, just because that sport came really easy to me early on, which my stepdad was one of the best pitchers in the college ranks, played at USC, was roommates with Aaron Boone. So he great coaching from him. And then also my boss, my dad's a javelin thrower and was the former NCAA record holder. So um, kind of pitching kind of went hand in hand and um but yeah, I don't know. I've always been super fiery. Um, I'm sure. I mean, my mom's a pretty passionate person, so I'm sure it comes from her a lot. But I don't know. They always, she always built up my confidence. And uh, I think my mom was always super honest with us. And uh, I think that might come uh, from that as well. And so, yeah, I think I'm super lucky that my mom uh, pushed me so hard because, you know, there's two ways after your kid goes through a, such a severe injury you can kind of call them or push them but my mom really pushed me Mm -hmm. the parent factor is something that i'm trying to dive deeper into and more and more on these episodes because they have such an impact on us as children and you don't even realize it right you're growing up you're going through the motions and you assume every kid has the same support the same love the same nurture or care whatever the case may be and it's like you know that's not the case for everyone right and I myself was very fortunate to have great parents, a ton of athletes that we've had on 
have echoed the same thoughts. Obviously, when you see everyone in your family competing at the highest level of sport, you're driven to at least achieve that. Because I can imagine the feeling if you hadn't, it would be a pretty negative one. But like you're able to now take this and you're making that 10-year-old version of yourself proud. You've got Olympic, Paralympic gold medals. You've got Parapan Am American Games that you've won in Lima. Like you've been able to go from a potentially life-ending injury to standing on top of the podium representing your country it's frankly phenomenal and i'm like getting emotional just thinking about how you were able to accomplish all this but like what was the that paradigm shifting moment for you because i know you moved from phoenix to victoria and i feel like working at the canadian sport institute there probably had a bit of a factor but was there a moment that you realized after that you were like, hey, I can really do this and I'm going to be the best at what I do despite this injury? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that come to mind. I think the first thing is, um, so my stepdad is my best friend uh, for sure. Okay. Me and my uncle are two of my closest friends. And um, my stepdad, I think when I got older, around 25, 26, I understood like the sacrifice he made. And I think just growing up, that was super big. Um, you know, I think, uh, as any of us, especially guys, like, you know, we grow up a bit later usually. So <laughs> I think, you know, having that realization was really big for my performance. And then I met a sports psychologist in Victoria named John Coleman, um, when I was out there, I still work with him. Um, and I think my big thing was I needed to create a team around me. Like I did of, of family after my injury. Because I, in my eyes, I was pretty successful and, you know, getting to walk again and playing sport again. And I also wanted to be successful in my sporting career. And so I tried my best to create that team. And, you know, it has to be a two-way street, that's for sure. And my coach, Heather Henninger, um, is amazing. She's, um, I believe, the best coach in the world, obviously super biased. Um, but, um, yeah, my mom had always said I needed to be coached by a woman. I didn't really understand why. Um, but I've had most of my success with her. Um, and so, uh, I think interesting. Was, yeah. And our relationship wasn't easy at first. Okay. Um, maybe that fiery background, um, you know, I want to do it this way. And I think as a, you know, not as mature as I wanted to be, I wanted to run fast at all times. Like I want to be ready to run fast all year, which meant mm. really intense workouts, but I couldn't stay healthy. Um, and so we came up with a plan that involved my uncle who, uh, is on the sports med side and has worked with, I mean, everyone from Kobe Bryant to Blake Griffin to Shaq. Um, and so, um, that was, I think really important having that kind of integrated model and it mm -hmm. allowed me to relax and just compete, which, uh, as you can imagine as an athlete <laughs> and when you can just compete and not to worry about all these crazy other things going on in life, it, uh, makes it a lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah, for like 100%. When you don't have to focus on everything else outside of you, I think it, sport is like a given, but it's like anything in life at this point. Like if you can just focus on one thing, you're going to be so much better than if you're distracted in a variety of areas. I want to go back to that point that your mom made about you needing to be coached by a female. Like, I w Can you peel back that onion a bit and give me a bit more insight as to why that is and like maybe some of the frustrations that you guys had together? 
Yeah, no, I think so. My mom coached me and I, my best times in high school came from when she coached me. Um, so I think that was one thing. And I honestly was raised by a lot of women. Um, a lot of my mom's, uh, track team, the one on the woman's side would come and babysit me or just hang out when I was a kid. Cause my, my mom had me when she was in college. Um, and so, yeah, I was close with them and I have some very, uh, strong grandparents, um, especially my grandma, um, on my mom's side and stepdad's side who are just, yeah, have been both big, uh, are largely impactful. And so I think just so many in my stepmom as well. Um, so I think, um, she just thought that maybe a bit more patience. Um, mm. and I think, uh, Heather doesn't have an ego really at all. And she's very open-minded. And I think the open-mindedness mindness is something that really helps me because she allows me to almost feel like I have my hands on the reins, but also she writes all the workouts. So just kind of, you know, um, I, I like to, I like to give my input and I like it to be accepted or just, or at least thought of, um, and she does that really well. And, um, yeah, we've worked so well together and she took a new job and, um, and she's like no longer like only coaching athletes. She has a higher job in Flex Canada, but she still decided to coach me, which was, you know, super thankful for that. And, uh, you know, had the, you know, had a couple you know, when she first said it to me, definitely was sweating a little bit. Um, <laughs> cause I feel like she's the only coach I want to coach me. So amazing. That's that patience thing is so critical and, not not enough people have it right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that want to get get to number one without putting in the work and not seeing uh, all the sweat and effort that goes into it. Like, how how do you find the sport? Obviously, you say you love playing golf. Is there anything else growing up? Obviously, like your grandfather playing eight years in the NHL with the Leafs, Blackhawks, Bruins. Your father competing ninety six Olympics and javelin. Like for you, I imagine you were just like you open up the Rolodex and you're like, yo, what sport do I want to play? Like, what do I want to do at the best? Like, and for you, what was like the moment you decided that, Hey, I want to specifically run fast to your, to quote you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, baseball was for sure my passion growing up. And if I didn't get injured, I probably would still be playing baseball. Um, okay. sure. Um, I grew up in Chandler. Like I said, that's where Cody Bellinger, um, we played in the same little league together and went to junior high together. Um, and we're not like close friends, so I'm not trying to act like we're, we're, we're super tight, but you know, just in Arizona, like in 2001, that D-backs won the world series spring training is in Arizona. Like my stepdad, like I said, played at USC and played a uh, pro ball for the giants. Uh, his brother, Brad played in the Phillies organization. Um, so yeah, I was just around baseball so much and I just loved it. Um, and so when I got injured, it's like, oh, my throwing arm got paralyzed, like, and I'm a pitcher. So uh, maybe not the best recipe uh, for, for, for success. And just kind of through running club uh, in fifth grade, um, more for just recovery from my injury, uh, it just became something I was super passionate about. And at first, it definitely was a lot of a lot of pain involved and a lot of not so fun times. But, you know, as you get more fit and fit, it, becomes easier and um and so yeah i would say like probably in ninth grade is when i was really eighth ninth grade i was like yeah i really want to do this and then our big goal my mom and i's big goal was to get a d1 scholarship hmm. um i did that and then it was you know always setting goals bigger and bigger um and so 
uh, I guess that's kind of how it really started. Interesting. Like the big goal is a D1 scholarship. Like how hard was that to get? What was involved? I know that like even just down to like the application process, a lot of students don't realize like it takes a lot of work to apply to a plethora of schools, get in your tape, showcase what you can do from an athletic and academic standpoint. Maybe if you could share a bit of insights as to what it took for you during that process and some of the highlights and lowlights from it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in fifth grade, we made that goal pretty much. Yeah, I believe it was. Jeez. So, wow. Um, just got out of the hospital. Like, I'm pretty sure it was three or four days after we got to the hospital, like we made this goal. And so obviously at that time, pretty daunting. <laughs> um, but for me, I love goals that make me nervous. I always have. And um, so, yeah, high school was, I mean, I, I was in Arizona for two years. And then I went to Georgia for my last two years because my stepdad uh, got a new job. And um, I think it was perfect timing for me. Um, mm-hmm. My coach in Arizona was more of a development coach, um, not the best with the kind of athletes who want to be the best, but really good for um, allowing kids to be passionate about the sport and just loving the sport and having fun. So I think that was a great first two years and then made huge jumps my junior and senior year in Milton, Georgia. Um, and yeah, there was definitely had, I wouldn't say I had a big option. Like there was probably maybe 10 schools. Um, and I decided to go to Furman. Um, and yeah, it, it, I definitely did a lot of applications and they're definitely long and a lot of essays and things like that. And, um, I'm not the best writer. I enjoy writing, but definitely not, um, very talented in that, um, department. Um, but it was a, it was a pretty hard decision. Um, Hmm. You know, I went to Furman and ended up not being the right place for me. Okay. Um, I still, to this day, I very much respect the coaches. and uh, But just, you know, they had one way of, of thinking and just, um, and I wasn't really in their plan, which I totally get. Like, you know, they're trying to, they had, we had the number one recruiting, uh, number two recruiting class in the country my freshman year that I was mm. a part of. So like, like yeah. 10 guys who were all the best at their high school. And so that's a lot of egos, a lot of things to manage. And, you know, it's fine that I wasn't part of their plan. And I just decided to, you know, take my talents to South Alabama, which ended up being the perfect school for me. Like my high school was about 3000 students, 3,200 students. And so I don't know why I thought a small liberal arts um, college about 2,800 was going to be a good fit for me. Instead, I think South Alabama was around 25,000 public, like awesome school for me had, you know, a, a full track team, which Furman only had distance. Um, and mm-hmm. so it just ended up being the right fit for me. And I think that's so important, just finding that right fit, even if it's D2 D, D or D3, like it doesn't really matter because plenty of Olympians have come from the D2 ranks. So I think the big hard part is just hitting it right, finding that mm-hmm. right scenario for you. And honestly, I didn't accomplish anything I thought I was going to accomplish in college. Like I thought I would be at the regional meet my freshman year. I would be NCAAs my last three years, didn't make it to regionals once. And so I definitely felt like I got a PhD in how to fail and keep mm-hmm. on moving forward. Um, and I think that's why I had so much success in the Paralympics right away. Um, because I understood what failure looked like and I wasn't scared to go after a world record or um, my personal best. And I think maybe sometimes that performance anxiety can really get people. Um, and I'm a pretty blunt person too. And if I feel like I have some of that, 
I'll yeah. like talk to my sports psychologist and be like, listen, like I feel this, like it's, it's not an excuse. It just, this is what I feel like. Let's work on it. Like let's attack it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, definitely. I enjoyed college, but definitely performance wise, I did not do good. That's okay. I, I love that uh, that quote there because I definitely thought you were going to quote LeBron James. You're like, yeah, so I took my talents to South the Alabama. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a good place to spend a couple years for college, hey? Um, oh, man. It's it's just crazy to wrap, like think about what you were able to do. And even like three days after setting that goal to get a D1 scholarship and to be able to accomplish that is just phenomenal. But I think that other thing, you brought up an interesting point, like with Kobe Bryant, I know you posted a picture when he passed away and you talk about failure and how important that is for you even to be able to see success once you got into the Paralympics, you weren't afraid to go after that world record. And it is so key. And I remember seeing a quote from Kobe Bryant that essentially talked about at the end of the day, you need to be accepting and excited about the fact that every day you get to wake up and it's a fresh start and it's a process and there's going to be ups and downs along the way but at the results don't even really matter whether you fail you win you lose like it's all at the end of the day going to come out in the wash because in the long run if you go through and you're enjoying that process then you know that win doesn't really matter or that loss doesn't really matter at the end of it you've had some pretty notable incredible international results 2019 ipc world championships 1500 meters first place 2019 parapan and american games 1500 meters first place i could go through this list it's it's pretty ridiculous but i'll save my breath and the listeners time is there any one that sticks out in particular to you that's was like mm, that one felt incredible or that one there was you know felt a little bit better than the others Definitely. Uh, when I ran, when I broke three fifty for the first time in the fifteen hundred meters, um, nobody in my classification had ever done that, and I ran three forty seven. Um, Jeez, that was like dang, that was awesome, and that was almost. I mean, honestly, like I, it felt better than winning gold, almost or maybe as good. Yeah. Like I think maybe if my family was at Tokyo, mm. um, then it probably would have felt better, but just the next day I flew home to see my family after I ran 347 and I hadn't seen them for a year and a half. Um, so like, it was like this awesome, like coming home and my siblings and I are so close. Um, mm. I have three younger siblings on, on my mom's side and one on my dad's side. So I'm really close with the ones on my mom's side, especially. Um, and, uh, so it was really cool to kind of kick it with them and, um, they're all, they're uh, 18, 16 and 14. So they're all, um, yeah, really fun ages right now. So, um, yeah. which, which was super cool. And, um, my brother Max is probably the one who looks up to me the most. He does track as well. And is probably going to be a better athlete than me. Actually, I'm very certain he's going to be a better <laughs> athlete than me. So it's been really cool to, you know, share both of our track and field kind of experience. Isn't that a humbling moment when your younger brother is better than you at the, at your sport? <laughs> I'm a, uh, I, 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 I used to get so frustrated growing up because my brother was just naturally so much better and so much more of an athlete than me in every capacity. And, and now I've come to terms with it and I like, I actually appreciate it. I'm like, yo, this is legit. Like you're take advantage of this, right? I'm encouraging it. Whereas that, when I was, you know, younger competing with him, I'm like, oh, get, get out of the way, get out of the way, move. Like, let me do my thing because 
you know, to your point, you're we're fiery individuals when we're young and you want to compete and be the best. And like, I, I don't even know how you could grow up in that household and not become an athlete to your point. Now you've got 14, 16 and eight year old cousins now that are going to be, or sorry, siblings, like they're obviously going to be studs too. Did you feel pressure when you were growing up at all from that? And like, was it something that you were like, man, if I don't do this, I'm going to just look like the slump of the crew. Yeah, no, I don't know how my parents did it. Like they didn't put pressure on me, but they uh, somehow not forced me, but allowed me to have like this just fiery passion. This just like love to wake up early, and just get it done. And like, I never felt pressure. I mean, I put pressure on myself, but they never put pressure on me. But uh, like, I always say, my parents always talked about the pressure of the big moments and I wanted that pressure. Um, doesn't feel great when you're like in it, but you know, that's at the end of the day, that's really what you want. And I really think it would be interesting down the line to ask my siblings that question, because I grew up in that environment and maybe they have seen me compete. Um, so maybe that kind of, um, and seeing each other compete. So maybe that kind of takes over is kind of the same thing as seeing me, seeing my parents compete. Um, but yeah, I feel like that would be a really interesting question for them. Yeah. I just, I can't even put put it into words what it would feel like to have all of these different incredible athletes to look up to as you're growing up and you're like, man, I got to do something here or else I'm not going to stand out. But you just came back from Langley where you had a pretty notable track and field event there. It's about 20 minutes from my hometown, White Rock, South Surrey. So uh, just missed it being in Toronto here now. But what does a day in the life look like for Nate when you're training at a track event? Like take us through. Yeah. On me day, it's, um, so before I used to like treat it as a special day. Okay. Um, but now I learned, I guess, to having my girlfriend at a bunch of my meets this year that I actually perform better when it's a normal day. Mm. Um, so usually we'll wake up and, um, like have some breakfast. I usually wake up around six thirty-seven. sometimes usually on race, they were trying to get some extra sleep. Um, and then usually we'll go somewhere, um, to grab coffee and do some work. Um, so literally exactly like a normal day, like I would do emails and, um, you know, do some expense reports and things like that. And my girlfriend's in school and works for special Olympics international. So she has plenty of papers to write and uh, meetings to get ready for. Um, and a lot of times races are at night. So we usually will study and, um until about lunchtime grab some lunch around noon or one then i like to watch at least like a movie or just some type of show just to kind of keep my mind off things and um that's what i've found being busy on race day keeps my mind not even thinking about racing and then i like to get to the track about three hours early um because i have about an hour of a corrective program which is like a uh, formal stretch and activation and then i'll start jogging an hour before my race um, and I also do some visualization right before I do my corrective program. Um, that's just like basically closing your eyes and just, um, letting any thoughts that come and trying to see what I want to do during the race. But I've definitely learned that trying to run a specific time does not work for me. Mm. Just trying to win, um, is what, what works for me. Cause I feel like you lose, you lose so much mental energy. If every lap you're like, Oh, it's slow. Oh, that's fast. Well, I'm right on. It's like, it's like, like it's your mind just like parkouring almost like all over the place. And it's just for me, not a good approach to have. Um, mm. 
and then obviously race and then post race definitely have alcoholic beverage and <laughs> uh, and or uh, some ice cream. Nice. Okay. What's uh what's in the coffee in the morning and then what's the alcoholic beverage at night of your choice? Um so definitely just like a little bit of cream. Um just just kind of a tap. Uh sometimes I'll go cappuccino. Um right. being in Europe a little bit, definitely kind of like some of the and in Victoria it's definitely a very like snobby uh, <laughs> coffee kind of uh <laughs> culture so um so that definitely learned a lot uh love a flat white too um mm, so definitely okay. learned uh some of that um i love red wine mm-hmm. uh, so um or a long drink it's like a, this finished like canned uh gin drink um okay that is in the states i don't, I, don't I, I haven't really seen it in canada um but yeah no it's the thing that i've really been fascinated with this year is high like the thought of high performance Cause yeah. the way I approached it before Tokyo was I need to go lock myself in a training camp for eight weeks, get as fit as I can and have no distractions. And this year it's been, let's have as much fun as I can. Um, but like, obviously prioritize, prioritize my training and my big workouts. And I've been more consistent this year. And if you average my, all of my races, I've run technically faster this year. I haven't PB'd in the 15, but I PB'd in the eight. Um, mm. and that was the first time since 2018, I PB'd in the 800. Um, and so it's really interesting. I think mm-hmm. with need you understand how to relax a little bit more and not be so hyper-focused and like things have to go exactly the way you want them now, like the day before a race, when I ran 348, I didn't like warm up on a track, do my premium on a track I just did on the road. And before that would have freaked me out. But now I'm like, cool, whatever. Um, yeah. just done. And so that's something that um I want to kind of write about a little bit too. And just like maybe for CBC or whatever kind of um people want to um want me to write that. I, I just feel like it'd be a super interesting to really kind of dive into that and think about yeah. it because it's i thought there was only one way i could get to success and um it definitely seems like there's not only one way Dude, we got to get we got to get an article up on uh, the ap website we'll put it up there for you we'll post it around get the little ap bump um that it's interesting though because you're also a mentor for classroom champions so it ties into the fact that not only are you seeing success now individually but you're also passing along the knowledge obviously with age as you said comes bit more experience, maybe a bit more patience when it comes to the results that you're looking for. That high performance thing is super intriguing. I'd love for you to share like that. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but I'm assuming it's more of a work hard, play hard kind of mentality when you're bringing that to the table and making sure that you're having fun. Is that what you try and share with classroom champions as well? Yeah, I think just really like taking it in. Is really important. Mm-hmm. Like when my girlfriend and I will go on, when I go race, she'll, a lot of times she'll come with me and we'll either stay a day on the front end or the back end and yeah. just like enjoy it. Like a lot of times we don't get to see these cities we race in. Like, why don't just take an extra 24 hours and go check it out? You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. and I think at the end of the day, one of the most important things my parents ever said to me, like, no matter how good or bad you run, we still love you. But remember, winning is fun. And I think for me, like having the ability and the environment to fail was really important. 
but also being like, remember, like being first place is way better than, than the first place loser, as we say in our family. So, um, so yeah, I think that was, that's something that I try and share. Just be like, it's really cool. And you can just go at your craft and not worry about what others think. Yeah. Go and work and work. And, and at the end of the day, you're one, you're the one who's putting the time in. So if you fail and you learn from it and then you do better next time, then you're good. And so I yeah. think just like you said earlier, like people have such this like social media, Instagram filter of success, how they want it now. Um, and even when someone has like one's goal at the Olympics, they're like, oh, he was overnight success. It's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I literally, it took me from relearning how to walk when I was 10 to 26 winning my first gold medal and only gold medal at the Paralympics. Like that took 16 years to just do that once. Like mm-hmm. imagine people who have, you know, 10, 15 gold medals. Like it's, it's crazy the work that goes into that. And so I just try to remind kids that it's not an overnight success. And honestly, like mentorship is one of the most important things to me because I had so many good mentors along the way, not just my family, um, some people outside of that. And if I didn't um, have those people, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. And my teachers, like I'm still friends with my fifth grade to my 12th grade teachers. Like I wow. talk to them on Facebook, like almost like once every couple months. And so like, if I didn't have them as teachers, um, I think I definitely wouldn't be where I am. That's, that's incredible. You don't hear that often staying in touch with your fifth grade teacher all the way to 12th grade. That's impressive. Um, you, and you also, it is, it's all about perspective every like, and you, you know, it's a word that gets thrown out there now more and more. And like when you're young, you're like, oh, perspective, what does that mean? But like, you know, you start to realize there's a lot of different factors and variables at play for every single person out there. And we really have no idea what they're going through. We just see the surface level in the present moment that day. And there's a lot of backstory that a lot of people have. And I, it's funny, you talk about like consistency. Uh, Liz Gleedle, who was throwing javelin at uh, that Langley event that you were at a couple a week ago was on episode 63 or so, I believe it, we just posted. There was a crazy fact. I, I have to go check it uh, right now, but I think she had, yeah, since 2008, she's won every single national championship. Like mind boggling <laughs> to just even wrap your head around. And I saw the smile there, but like you're just accustomed to seeing all these incredible athletes on a weekly basis, I'm assuming. But like anyone that you've come across in your journey that was like, whoa, that person is far and above that much better, stands out head head above anyone in particular. Mm. Aaron Brown, the sprinter. Um, yeah. I think Aaron's awesome. Uh, I just think like, honestly, I'm more impressed by how people hold themselves. Like, like mm. are they down that like Aaron Brown and Melissa Bishop are the two that I've met and been like, dang, like you guys are actually good people as well as mm. really good athletes and they're willing to help the next person. And I don't know, I've always had so much respect for that because I've met, um, as some people say, like, don't meet, don't meet your hero because you'd be let down. Mm. Uh, so I'm really thankful that specifically uh, Bish um was so amazing to me um because my mom is she was someone that my mom always talked about and so um it was really cool 
going to training camp with her one year in Flagstaff and her just being honestly so amazing. And then this past week, I met Brandon McBride. Um, he yes. got second in the 800 and he's run 143 in the 800, which is blazing. Hmm. Um, and uh, I'd never met him before. And I've like kind of from afar, we've just kind of, I don't think he's known to me, but I've definitely known of him. And just kind of talking to him and hearing some of his mental approach to things was super interesting. Um, and just how mental track and field really is. And I think uh, how you are off the field and also like your mindset, I think those are two things that are more, in, or I admire more than yeah. people just because I think I've been around so many freak like athletes in my family that like that's just normal. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I've been around a bunch of NBA players and like they're such crazy athletes. And so I feel like that doesn't like mesmerize me as it right. does some people, but like those other attributes, I think I really admire. It It is a really interesting topic that like how you carry yourself outside of your sport because everyone's watching there's eyes on people 24 7 365 now and more than ever to your point if someone does meet their hero they should meet their hero who they expect to see and sometimes they're not given that or maybe someone's in a bad mood and hey that happens and that like no discredit to anyone in particular but like that is a really important feature to have as an athlete as a human being for that matter just how you carry yourself outside makes a big difference and like can really impact how people look at you and think of you to your point like aaron brown who's a guy who we actually have scheduled to come on here over the next couple of weeks but uh i'm excited we'll give it that'll be a double shout out for that one but um it's it's so true i'm glad you brought that up because the physical is one thing and that's what you know people tend to focus on because that's what you can see but um those other factors are what differentiates the good from the great nate i feel like we could chat all day i, I love just like learning and I, I love your just calm demeanor too because some people get nervous some people talk really fast but you're just chill cool as a cucumber um that's probably just from all your experience working with all these incredible athletes like Anything that stands out to you that you wish you knew when you were younger or pieces of advice that you were given? We wrap up every episode by asking like what our biggest piece of advice would be for that next generation of athletes. I do want to still ask you about your nutrition and if there's anything in particular there, but is there one thing that stands out to you that, you know, pieces of advice other than not being the first loser or the first <laughs> what first first finisher what was it what did you call it uh don't be the first loser yeah no the first loser being, being, being first is better than being the first loser um i think the one thing that really comes to my head is that as success is a process and mm. you might not see the success new, new, numerically but it is there if you stay healthy from year to year you're gonna see it and i think that's really important. Number two, I always saw, this is probably not everyone's going to agree with this, but um, I always saw if I was injured, it was my fault. Um, mm. Because we have the uh, education to educate ourselves as athletes and also uh, so many amazing resources. And yeah. I, I always believe, you know, if you have a big injury, there's probably something you could have done better. And like, I don't like blame myself, but I just see it as my fault. Um, and so I think that was one thing with my uncle and I basically for the last 
seven years, I've had one pulled hamstring. I think wow. I took five or six days off for that. And other than that, pretty much smooth sailing, like obviously little things here and there, but, um, but yeah, I think it just shows if you really learn that what's bugging you is usually not the problem. Something mm. else is causing it and just really finding a therapist that works with you. Well, I think that's really important because staying healthy is kind of the name of the game. hundred percent extreme ownership. Okay. Jocko, uh, <laughs> that, that's it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. What it, and you talk about like year over year progress. I feel like your nutrition has probably played a factor as well. Anything in particular you do there outside of a couple of long drinks and red wine? <laughs> yeah right um i try and the way that it was explained to me growing up was if you eat all the right things and you can have a couple of the wrong things and okay. so just trying to eat as balanced meals as i can um just really getting those carbs in after workouts especially like because we do a lot of like longer stuff with the 1500 it's such a unique event where you get to do the sprints the plyos but also the like half marathon pace stuff also mm. the 5k 10k pace stuff so it's just kind of a hodgepodge of kind of everything which is why i love the event so much right um, so and i think that 30 minute window of recovery is so important mm. um, i think it is hard sometimes there's so many different mo modalities of recovery um to go crazy on it i think really pick a couple that you think work um and i would do one at a time so you can see which one actually works for you um, cause if you do seven or eight at the same time and it's like, you don't actually know it's working. Um, so I think that's one thing that was big for me. And then like on the recovery side, like I do probably two hours of rolling a day. Um, Whoa. but I always do rolling, stretching and activation pre and stretch or rolling and stretching post. And my rolling is not just rolling. It's whatever's tight. You hold for 30 seconds and I use some of the vibration technology either, from from high price either the hyperbolt or the sphere um mm -hmm. and i take that very seriously and all my teammates always joke like oh there's nate rolling again you know but i think it shows that i've just been healthy um, yeah so um yeah i think that's you know uh i think that's even probably more important in my eyes than my nutrition is just my recovery protocol right wild um yeah, they, you know, MJ used to stretch two hours a day. He turned out all right, right? So, uh, obviously, uh, you two got it figured out. I got a, I got a thing or two to learn from both of you. Yo, Nate, where can people find you on social media, support what you're doing? Because it's, like, pretty phenomenal, your story. And I, I just want everyone else out there to see everything that you're doing and follow along because it's uh, phenomenal, to say the least. Oh, thank you so much. Everything is at Nate, Nate Graywolf. Um, I'm really trying to vamp up my YouTube channel. So I definitely have some new stuff that recently just came out. I actually just, um, did a video recently with a videographer out of Vancouver that kind of shows the Harry, Harry Jerome meet where I didn't run as well as I wanted to. So you see kind of all the pre, um, the during, and also the post of me laying on the ground, like about to throw up. So it's, um, I think that'll come out probably the next month. And so I think right. that would be a really interesting want to see what others think of it um but uh yeah so that's really where you can find me amazing hey we like to show off uh both the glamorous and the not so glamorous as aspects of 
Athletics on the Athletes Podcast. Nate, thank you so much for coming on. Episode 130, it's been incredible. Really appreciate you carving out the time. I look forward to following along your continued incredible career. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you folks for tuning into the 130th episode of the Athletes Podcast featuring Nate Reach, phenomenal human being who's accomplished some incredible feats. Obviously, the biggest to date, winning gold, setting a Paralympic record, in Tokyo 2020. Can't say enough good things about him. Really appreciate Rob Fraser putting us in touch with Outway Socks coming up soon episode, a little teaser there as well. But can't thank you guys enough for tuning in, listening to the episode, wherever you're consuming the Athletes Podcast content. We really appreciate it. And we're so excited to continue delivering these shows on a weekly basis to you folks so that we can continue to educate, entertain, and inspire the next generation of athletes. Please don't forget to hit that like button, comment your favorite moment, subscribe so you can see more in the future, and we look forward to seeing you back here next week. Bye.